Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. Good? Okay. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 34, um, and I'm going to come to it in just a couple of moments. Um, today, I want to spend our time just on sharing a pastoral word on something that keeps coming up in conversations in our community. Um, over the past several months, we've had the, the real privilege of seeing a lot of people come to faith. Uh, many of you were baptized a few weeks ago, which was awesome. Um, and with those kinds of decisions to follow Jesus, um, we're, we're finding this renewed questioning of what it means to make decisions um, according to this new creation and not just making decisions the old way and adding, sprinkling a little bit of Jesus powder onto your current life right? Like uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says that you're a new creation in Christ. That in Christ, you have actually died to that old way of life, and you are stepping into this new thing. And so you may be asking questions. What does it mean for me to abandon all of that to embrace all that he's invited me into? And that's precisely what we want to like talk about and coach you into this week. We just want to take this one week and answer some pastoral questions or at least uh, me talk about something that will be helpful as you answer those questions for yourself. Um, and I just want to point something out. Uh, sometimes when we come to church, we get this distinct feeling um, that we are among people who think like us. Maybe not. Do you all feel like that? <laughs> I never feel like that. I'm always walking in a room like, I don't know what they think I think, but <laughs> I don't think what they think I think. You know, <laughs> I think something different. Uh, but in this room, there's a spectrum of people who are coming from all kinds of different ways of believing, perspectives on what the church is, what worship looks like, you know. We got our high charismatics in the front going after it. We got our, our more peaceful contemplatives in the back feeling it out, you know. And those in the middle who are like, just let us not get hit, you know, by, by either the extremes, you know, front or back, um, but in this room, and I really delight in this, man, we've got some of you who are, um, you are atheists and you got duped into coming somehow to church on a Sunday morning. I don't know how that happened. Uh, some of you are agnostic, but you're kind of curious. Like, you're not, a, I'm not sure if there's a God, but I'm open. Like some of you are spiritually open to things. Um, and so you're, you're curious. Some of you may be very churched, um, but you are not following Jesus. Like, you know what it is to get in traditions and routines in the church, but the man Jesus, you don't know what to do with him. <laughs> Buckle up and get in line. Um, and others of you are newly following Jesus, but you've still got some junk rooted in your life. And you know it. And, and, and the people around you may know it. And you're just trying to be honest about that journey of like figuring out, how do I follow Jesus and still struggle in these spaces? And others of you have been following for a while, and you're like wide open and fully surrendered to the Lord and what I want you to hear is, you're all welcome. Um, and our role in the church, um, my role as a pastor, is to see you formed into the image of Jesus. And so if you're coming in, um, it's not a neutral space where we want you to just exist and like uh, experience information in some two-dimensional way. It, w it will be confrontational uh, to a degree. Like the Word of God is confrontational, right? Have you ever read it and Jesus like offends you first thing in the morning? Uh, and think, how, how rude, you know, like, I, I came to your door, and then you, you know, um, the Word of God is confrontational. The cross is confrontational. 
um, it confronts something in me that says that I am, I am eternally broken and devastated and in sin and moving toward destruction apart from the grace and the redemption of Jesus. It is confrontational. Like there is no addition of the cross to my life that feels comfortable. And then when you follow Jesus and he brings you to new life, he says, by the way, the formula is deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Confrontation. So even the things that you bring into this life with Jesus, he says, hey, you need to be willing to abandon, deny, reject yourself. In a culture that says embrace yourself, discover yourself and everything else gets clear, he says reject yourself, deny yourself, your preferences, your desires, your wants, take up your cross, your tool and instrument of death. (laughs) Tell me about your, your testimony. Jesus makes me die. <laughs> he, he, he tells me every day to reject myself and to take up my cross so that I can actually live. Like I'm not just living to be dead. He, he causes me to live. And he says, follow me. Like I want to teach you. All right. So I, I just, I want to be super clear about that stuff. But I also want to say, no matter where you're at on that spectrum, You're welcome to come and ask those questions. And if you are new to faith and you're super frustrated because you think you got to have it all figured out, please do yourself a great deal of mercy and just realize that there is not a single person in here who has it all worked out, that we are all very much in process, and the Lord is incredibly compassionate and kind with that process. Like, he makes the decision to justify you while you're still completely screwed up. And it's by his grace. He washes you and he says, I see you as complete right where you are, having just made the decision, right? Like Paul's murdering people. And then the next second, he's a son of God. You feel the distinction? Death to life. And so for us, you may be very much in a process. That's great. Come along. Come along. There's space. There's room to walk. Um, And no matter where you're at in that journey with the Lord, he continues to call you in higher and deeper. Amen? Okay. Um, So over the past few months, I've had countless conversations with many of you guys about how to make decisions when it comes to things that are not black and white in the scriptures. Like, how do we use that gift of discerning, right, that we were talking about earlier, and how do we um, make decisions about things that aren't overtly sinful, but they are weight-bearing in our lives, they're making decisions about culture and how we interact with culture. They're making all sorts of decisions. Some of the ones that have come up are, and, and this is, I'm not sharing anybody's name, but I'm telling you that these are conversations that I've had in multiple places throughout our body over the past couple of months. And so instead of me henpecking one conversation after another, I have decided, be it wise or not, to try to address things all at the same time. <laughs> so welcome to our Christian counseling session. If you're an intercessor, start praying now. Um, So we we have had conversations about Jewish law and whether or not you need to fulfill all of the Old Testament as a New Testament believer in Christ. Uh, We have had questions about practicing the Sabbath um, and how that works. Is that, do I need to practice it on Saturday? Do I need to practice it on Sunday? Do I need to practice it? Like, does the Sabbath bear weight? Um, Is eating pork okay in the Southeast? God, I hope so. Um, now I'm going to, I'm going to use a bit of humor to lighten because for many of us, these are very real issues that we're really asking and wrestling with. 
Um, and I promise you that I will not get everything perfectly right, but we will do our best to point to the scriptures and walk it out in community. Cool? Okay. Which prepares us for the political season forthcoming. <laughs> Buckle up, y'all. Um, how do you stay at the table with people you don't always agree with? It only happens through the blood of Jesus. It only does. Um, and if we can't ever stay at the table, perhaps we're missing out on something in the blood of Jesus that we desperately need. Uh, there's a unifying work of the Spirit that happens among diverse people. Um, we've also had conversations around whether or not Halloween is okay to celebrate. Okay, so moving into it on Tuesday, I thought it might be helpful. Should we observe Jewish holidays and festivals? Is that something that we've got to do? Um, can we celebrate Christmas? All right, cool. No responses to that. Got it? <laughs> Check. <laughs> okay. Um, practicing yoga or Reiki. That's a new one. That's been coming up lately. So one of the major learning curves um, in following Jesus is in how we make decisions as new creations. Right? Like, like that picture that you are diametrically pulled from death to life as you're entering into Christ and as he is in you it completely changes the way that we interact with the culture and the world around us. Um, but one of the major learning curves is how we do that with the Holy Spirit in community, according to the Scriptures. The writer of Hebrews says that when you are saved, you're like a newborn baby that for a season only drinks milk. Like nothing but milk. I, I've never seen a really young baby who's you know, gnawing on a T-bone. I would like to see that. I think it would be really humorous for a minute. But babies drink milk, right? And then when they come of age, when they mature, when they develop teeth and strengthen their jaw, they transition from milk to something that has different nutrients and proteins and all of those things that their body needs. And Paul says that's maturity. It's chewing on meat. And you wouldn't believe the stuff that he calls elementary. He calls elementary the resurrection from the dead and the laying on of hands and repentance from sin that leads to death. Like the stuff that blows our minds that we've never heard about. He's like, yeah, that stuff's elementary. Those are just truths that you need to absorb and take in as normal, natural parts of your life. But he says the meat, the mature stuff, is learning how to distinguish good from evil and learning how to steward righteousness. That is maturity. Maturity is not supernatural encounters. That's not what he says, which blows my mind because that's what I think. My natural mind goes to supernatural encounters and the gifts of the Spirit and growing in those charismatic things. He actually says that maturity is you learning how to distinguish good from evil and how to steward the gift of righteousness that he has given you by faith. Interesting. So I want to give you guys a method or share a little bit about how to learn how to make these decisions about things that may be gray or confusing to you. Um, and then I'll speak directly to um, some of those items that I mentioned. And if I don't answer them all, I promise I won't. Um, yeah, I assure you, you'll be disappointed if you're going to look to have it all like figured out in this message. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I'll just say I don't know. Okay? Um, is that okay? All right, cool. Luke eleven thirty four says it like this. Jesus is confronting a group of people. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Christina, would you get me a cup of coffee? I need something warm to loosen up whatever's going on in here. <clears throat> Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees and listen to what he has to say. Your eye is the lamp of your body. 
And when your eyes are healthy, right there you can read clear, or when they function well, your whole body, your soma, your life, not just your physical body, but your life is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, when they're diseased and blind, then your life, your body, is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body, your life, is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Jesus has come into a group of people who have their lives informed by their culture and their traditions that are all um, Jewish, right? They're looking to all the Old Testament law and the covenants. Uh, They're looking to all of the the 600 plus laws that are in the Old Testament, and they're trying to learn how to apply that stuff in order to find righteousness. And Jesus looks at them who are doing their best with what they've got, it seems, and he is saying to them um, that just like a lamp lights the outside of your body. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. All my cough drop people in the house are like offering their pharmacy of choice. Okay. Um, just like a lamp lights the outside of our body when we come near to it, he says that your eyes, your ability to perceive what is true around you when they are clear, it actually brings light to your whole life. In other words, do you have eyes that actually see clearly? Or are you walking with the filters of the world and the culture around us clouding your vision so that you can never fully receive the illumination of God's glory, who is Jesus? And and he directly asks us um, if our eyes are good. Now, this past week, I was at a leader's um, retreat at Impact 360 that Hannah Rathel put on and developed. She did such an incredible job with it. If you don't know about Impact 360, uh, you should ask her questions. She'd love to tell you. Um, And when I was there, we did this little illustration. And in the illustration, they took a group of people and they blindfolded two of us. And everybody else had sight. Okay? And then they took mousetraps and they triggered them and you would hold it in your hand and then you had to make a circle with people around you and the person beside you would put their hand on top of the trap. So essentially what we have is a triggered mousetrap that is only being held closed by pressure. Okay, so Christina was beside me. Thank God, I trust her. And I'm blindfolded. She's not. And so I'm holding a a mousetrap. Her hand is on top of it, holding the tension. And we have to move through some, like, elementary obstacle course. Um, And, of course, the issue is plain. Um, I can't see, and so if I trip and stumble, somebody else, me and somebody else are going to get hurt. Are you with me? And so we're, we're moving through these obstacles. Now, imagine with me blindfolded, if I had just suddenly felt the spirit of leadership on me. <laughs> Guys, I know the way. We're going to take a hard left here. And they're going, go up the stairs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's no stairs there. It's a figment of your imagination. It's a social construct. Um, what we need to do instead is turn around, pivot right, do a 360, right, and just keep pushing. What if, as a blindfolded person, if I begin to push in that direction, how many of you know both me and the people around me are going to get snapped? And that's precisely what Jesus is showing us here. He's saying that when we walk blind, we endanger ourselves and others. Now, here's the problem. Most of us don't know that we walk blind. We actually believe that we see clearly. And the most dangerous kind of blind person is the one who believes they actually see. 
We are the most dangerous when we are utterly convinced of our way of seeing things detached from the revelation of Jesus. There is nothing more dangerous than a church person in the Bible Belt South, convicted of their own preferences and feelings and desires, who lays waste to everybody else's and swings away at them because they are actually blind. Nothing more dangerous. Our stories all share this in common. We all thought at one time that we could see clearly, only to realize that we've been walking blind the whole time. Right? Like blindfolded, stumbling around, mousetrap in hand, trying to figure out what's next. Uh, And in some great revelation, once we realize that we're blind, the light of the world, who is Jesus, comes into the picture and he begins to shine in our lives. It demands that I see that I'm blind. That's what it demands. It's the story of Paul the Apostle who's on the road to Damascus, who one moment is convinced of his culture and his beliefs and his traditions and preferences so much that he's actually willing to kill people who disagree with him. And then in the next moment, he's not convinced. Everything changes in a moment. And what transpires from him being convinced to deconstructing his broken faith wasn't some doctrinal proof. It wasn't a new creed. It wasn't a new routine or program. It was a revelation of Jesus in piercing light. The thing that changes our blindness is not the newest book on the shelf from Bethel. It is not the newest intercessory manual. It is not um, Tim Keller's latest thing. The thing that is going to change us and transform us is the revelation of Jesus in piercing light. Notice, if you read the story in Acts, it's the middle of the day. Mario, I've read that story a million times. I've never seen that part. It's the middle of the day when the Apostle Paul is walking, or when when Saul, he's not the Apostle Paul, he's going down this road on horseback, sun shining, right, I'm presuming, and somehow... The glory of Jesus radiates so brightly that under the the radiance of the sun, the glory of God knocks Paul off his horse. You see that? A blinding light. Like, I don't know, as a kid, I used to try to stare at the sun. Like, let's let's see what we can do, you know? Like, they say you can't do it for long. We will prove them wrong, you know? Um, And so, you know, when you have that revelation, Paul is on horseback, the sun is beating down, and the glory of God appears right beside it, and that knocks him off, his horse. And the man who thought he saw clearly, who was so deeply convinced and convicted of his way of seeing things, now knows that he is blind. And some of you feel like that. You came to faith saying, God, give me sight, and you feel blind. Because you came in convinced that you already had it figured out. I've been in Bible Belt Christianity. Mom and dad grew up reading the Bible to me. I knew all these things. And you come to Jesus and he blinds you. And you go, what's, what's happening? I thought this was going to get easy. And he says, well, in fact, I am teaching you for the first time the reality of your nature. You're, you've been blind the whole time. You thought you had sight and you were going the wrong way. Now you're blind and you're going the right way. And the thing about being blind is that you are utterly reliant on the Lord to teach you and to show you the next step. You are gripping and grasping for the leadership of the Spirit, for the guidance of Jesus through the Scriptures in the body of Christ to lead you forward. And I don't want to be blind. Anybody else? Like there is nothing. I was thinking about the nature of prayer. 
um, on Wednesdays, we have a room full of women and we have like four guys. And if I can encourage you guys who have disconnected, disengaged from the act of prayer as, vi- as spiritual violence, you're missing a core component of what it means to mature your faith. Because prayer is the most utterly reliant thing you can do. Like there is something about the weakness of prayer. You know, God says, come fight battles with me. And I want to pick up sword and shield. And he goes, get on your knees. What? The picture of submission is the most forceful place in the kingdom. The picture of submission, of me having nothing, Matthew, like me on my knees before the Lord, hands open, head prostrate, touching the floor. That's warfare in the kingdom. That's how I learn how to battle. I learn to trust and rely on the Spirit of God who, who listens to the prayers of his saints in weakness and he applies kingdom power. All that to say, guys, come on Wednesdays. Okay. And pray at home over your family and pray over your, you know, your homes and pray around the city, right? Like, uh, it's not strength just putting our hands and like rebuilding a home for somebody. That's beautiful. But are you praying? Are you doing warfare? Are you learning the lesson of, of, of weakness, poverty of spirit for spiritual strength? Are, are we learning that lesson? Um, many of you feel that you feel weak. And can I encourage you? Perhaps that's not bad at all. Perhaps you feeling utterly like a child again and having to ask basic elementary questions and trust the Lord for just the next step. Perhaps that's exactly what he's been trying to get through to you the whole time. This is not about us being like super reliable and knowing all the right answers. Perhaps it really is us saying, Lord, I don't want to miss you. Lord, I don't want to take a single step if it departs from your presence or your spirit or who you are. I want to be utterly reliant, utterly trusting in who you are, that you are leading me and guiding me and you're shaping me into the kind of person you've called me to be. This is the picture of Paul. This is the picture of what it means for us to get sight. The picture of us receiving sight is going blind to the world. John 1, 5 or 1, 1 through 5, um, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And hear it, and that life was the light of all mankind. In Him was life. Jesus has the Spirit of life. And that Spirit is the light that illuminates everything. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it. That word overcome literally means to comprehend it. The light comes into darkness, and the darkness goes, what's that? It's disorienting. And some of you are there. You're asking questions. What does it mean for me to leave all of that, to discard that, abandon that, deny that, so that I can embrace him? And and can I just encourage you that if you feel slightly disoriented, that is probably the right thing. Like, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to, like, have conversations. And I'm not sure how to approach the Lord and how to approach work situations. That's probably it. That's probably where you need to be, right? Like a brand new baby stumbling around trying to figure out, like, what are these? You guys know the moment, like, when kids see their hands for the first time? It's the coolest and weirdest thing. <laughs> like, those things have been attached to them since their birth. And suddenly they're like, what is this? <laughs> this tentacle hanging off of my arm. I've got an arm. <laughs> that, that's what new birth and faith looks like. You're like, I, I don't even know the structure and how I'm to rely on the Lord. And suddenly, 
the beauty and the wonder of how I relate to him becomes clear. But for a while, it feels like you're blind. Following Jesus is not about just adding laws to our lives. It's about becoming new creations made into his image. And Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the law. And he calls us. He calls us to the kind of life that um, he, he says, if our righteousness doesn't surpass that of the Pharisees, that we're not actually going to inherit the kingdom. Now listen to that. I've come to fulfill the law, and I want you to live the kind of life that is so deeply convicted, so deeply transformed by my spirit, that you do what the spirit of the law requires, even in moments where it looks like the letter of the law isn't met, or it looks like you're going past where the letter of the law calls you to, right? Like, we're not just saying tithing, right? Letter of the law is what a lot of people say, which I would argue with. We'll do that another day. Um, Like, radical generosity, Give everything. In your poverty, Church of Macedonia, give it all. I'm not just calling you to a 10% kind of spirituality. I'm calling you to 100%. That sometimes we'll flex and give 10 and sometimes 90. Are you with me? So it's not just an addition of law to our lives. Following Jesus is not just about a black and white list, a to-do list where you're checking boxes. It is learning to listen to him. It is learning to go to him. It's learning to do all things in relationship to Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, and he is the one who fulfills every promise of God in your life. All the promises of God are yes, and in, in Christ, they're amen. In Christ. So if, if we flip, flip, if we flip back to, that was very Southern. Welcome. If we flip back to Luke 11, right after this, Jesus is talking about Blindness and sight, right? He's talking about it. Then in the next verse, in verse 37, he has a run-in with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that model what he just taught. Okay? So it's nice to read in context and not just henpeck verses because you get a fuller sense of what's happening. In verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. It was nice of him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash before the meal. And what's happening? The Pharisees have traditions according to their laws. You have certain washing rituals. And if you are going to be ceremonial, not even ceremonially clean here, but they have specific traditions that you're supposed to do. You got to wash your hands in a specific way, wash dishes in a specific way. And Jesus doesn't abide by it. Now, why? He's not going against the law. He's going against the tradition of the culture, right? Then the Lord said to him, noticing that the Pharisee notices. Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, which is like Southern for saying, you're in trouble. Oh, you've done it now, you know. (laughs) Oh, you Pharisees, you've done it now, you foolish people. Um, Because, I'm sorry, woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of the mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. 
You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues or at church or at dinner, and you love respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. What's the problem? Uh, Jesus says that the Pharisees have bad eyes. They can't actually see, but they are convinced that they can. Poof. What a terrifying notion. I'm convinced that I can see Hugo, but I, I can't. It's not clear whatever the image is in front of me. They were so myopic and nearsighted that they couldn't see what was really important. They were focused on Jesus' dirty hands, and they overlooked their filthy hearts. They overlooked pride and arrogance inside themselves. They overlooked the fact that they had hatred and contempt for those who were less than. They were all about tithing. Right? They're vegetables. They brought it to the house. They brought it to the church. They felt like that checked all the boxes. And Jesus said, you should do that, but don't forget about the poor. Practice justice. Practice mercy. He's saying, don't just give your tithe and then pretend that the people in the streets who have nothing aren't your responsibility. They are. He says, don't overlook that. They were concerned about how they looked in front of others and their reputation, but they had forgotten about how they looked before God. Were their hearts holy? Were they righteous before the Lord? Folks, it's easy to go blind and to think you can actually see. It is easy for us to go blind and to think we can actually see. There's this refrain um, all through uh, the Proverbs Um, ears that hear and eyes that see, God has made them both. And so you hear the New Testament writers say, for those who have ears to hear. In other words, hey, those two flaps on the side of your head, are they working? Because the word of the Lord is speaking. Are they receiving what he's saying? And I would say in the same fashion, hey, those two weird looking holes on the front of your face, are they working? Can you actually see what it is clearly that the Lord is calling you to do? Do you have eyes that can see? Um, Psalm 119, 105 was really speaking to me this past week. It's very simple. Many of you know it. For the word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Imagine, if you will, some of you have been to Eddie and Carla's house way out in the country or Brandon and Trish's. Um, if you're headed out there late at night from Columbus, you know, if you're out on those back roads, what do you experience? Man, it's dark. It is dark, right? We went out for a party one time. Michael Diney hit a deer going 55 miles an hour. Dark, baby. Um, Now, imagine that you're 2,000 years ago when you got no flashlights and there's no light on your phone um, and you don't have cars and you don't have headlights. That same darkness that we fear now, can you imagine the kind of circumstance or situation it would create back then? And, And so this passage is spoken to a group of people who understand darkness, right? The kind of darkness that is so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face. Uh, They they understand that kind of darkness. And the psalmist writes that your word, the thing that we need the most in darkened times is the word of God. And that it is a a foot lamp that lights each step. And it is a trail light that illuminates the direction we're supposed to go. 
You say, I'm in a season, Grant, where I don't know what to do. Or in the situations that we're going to talk about in a moment, I'm, I'm wrestling through these specific circumstances. Like, what do I do about these holidays? Or do I need to return to some old practices in the Old Testament? Or what do I do about alcohol? Or what do I do, right? Like, how do I make decisions that are conducive to the work of the Spirit in my life and do it according to the Word, but really wrestle this thing out? And the psalmist says, it's the Word. That the way we make those decisions isn't untethered and based on the culture around us, right? Calling blindness sight. The way that we are illuminated is by letting the word of God speak. Letting the word of God illuminate my heart and my mind and how I make decisions. Um, most of the time, I need to actually drink this. Sorry, I've just been holding it for like five minutes. Most of the time, I think when we come to faith, what we genuinely believe is going to happen is the second. You know, the word is a lamp for my feet, but the light for my path, that's what I want. Lord, give me vision and direction. Teach me. Like, I want the vocational decisions. Find me the right spouse. You know, let's, let's do the whole dream house thing. Like, what? God, get me on the path, right? It is a light for my path. Uh, most of the time, that's what we want. We want God to show us the road that we should take. But folks, God's not only interested in the path you choose, he is interested in the way you walk out the path you choose. Make sense? Does it? He's not only interested in lighting the path, the career path, the future, where you're going, what you're doing. He is lighting each and every step. And that is really the internal work of the spirit with us. Right? The trail light gives me a course. It's how the Lord sovereignly steers me away from the broad path that leads to destruction. The trail light teaches me how to abandon the American dream and like money and wealth as a way of, of satisfaction uh, and status. He teaches me how to leave that on the trail light. It's his voice leading me to the narrow path of Jesus, but it's the footlights. The footlights are what interests me today. It's those that keeps my ankle from turning even when I'm on the right path, but there's some rocky seasons. It's, it's the footlight that illuminates where the predators want to come and attack. It's the footlight that shows me the razor-sharp rocks and the potholes. It's the footlights that reveal to me the way that I am to walk out the path that I end up choosing with the Lord. And those are very different things. This is the revelation of your dependence on God, not only to belong to Him, but to become like Him. Right? Because there's lots of people you know who call themselves Christians who look nothing like Jesus. They act nothing like Jesus. They're, they're rude and violent and arrogant and proud and boastful. But the, the word is a lamp for my feet. Notice it doesn't say the, the word is a lamp for your feet. <laughs> it is always personal and first person. That is my lamp for my feet. When I go to the Word, it is the Lord addressing me about illuminating the steps that keep me stumbling and twisting my ankles. Have you all seen those videos of the runway models who are trying to walk on big, huge hills, and they just turn into weeble wobbles going all the way down the thing? Have you seen it? It's Go watch it. You owe yourself a laugh today. They wobble for like 38 minutes, okay? It's just them just going back and forth like this. They look like slalom skiers, okay, walking down a runway. Um, 
What are the things that keep twisting your ankle? What is the place where you keep falling off? That doesn't mean you've walked away from Jesus or that you don't belong to the Lord. That doesn't mean that you're not going in the right direction, choosing the right path. But it may mean, in fact, that there is some some faulty character in your life. There may mean that the Lord's voice, you have closed his voice off to the motivations of your own heart. And the Holy Spirit deeply desires not just to get you to the destination. He desires for you to look like the sun. Like the Holy Spirit is obsessed with the Son. He, he only talks about Jesus. He only shares with you what belongs to Jesus. He is so in love with Jesus. And when you are full of the Spirit and you are choosing to walk out this path, the thing that He is showing you is how to take steps that don't um, cause you to stumble and fall and break your ankles along the way. And some of you, your ankles are real sore. And perhaps the Lord is inviting you to to use the word, to come to the word as the lamp that lights your feet. Right? It's like what Paul was talking about when he said, I consider everything in my life trash compared to knowing him. Like I'll discard everything. Pedigree, heritage, money, status, fame, reputation. All of that is garbage. But this one thing, I want to know him. I, know, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of joining him in his sufferings, doing what Jesus does, becoming like him, right? This is where God gets into our motives and our business. And so my question this morning is, how are your eyes? How are your eyes? And on the path that you are, are you allowing your life to be illuminated by something that is deeper and firmer and more beautiful than just your cultural perspective or your family's specific tradition? Are you allowing Jesus to speak into who you are and what you do? Are you with me? Now that will do a couple of things if we do that. It will allow us to stay humble even when we disagree with each other. When you do the work of sitting at the feet of Jesus and learning what he is asking of me, it helps me to not stamp out people who see things differently than me. Like our role in the church, it shouldn't be. I I had a guy in our uh, young adult group who used to always come to me and say, Grant, I'm going to read this book, but could you read it first and make sure there's no heresy in it? I don't want to like get caught up in anything. And he would like hand me a book. And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) I am not your Holy Spirit, man. We don't actually trust. We don't trust that the Holy Spirit will lead people. Feel that. And for some of you, you don't actually trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you. So you keep going to the other person and saying, give me the list. I just want the law. Right? If I do X, Y, and Z. And Jesus says, it's all. It's all about relationship with me. All of it. Now hear me. I am not, uh, sometimes we use that as charismatic code for don't read your Bible. I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that Jesus leads us through his word. And that he himself The writer of uh, uh, John says that Jesus himself is the word. That this thing is the revelation of who he is. And if I want to see clearly, I have to get new eyes. And those are eyes that go through the word and through the spirit. Um, uh, This past week. Yeah, we're good. This past week. Um. I've been wrestling. I've, I've had a silence with the Lord over the past few weeks. 
I don't know if any of you have been through seasons like that where you feel like the Lord is distant all of a sudden. Um, and I shared it with some of the ladies who were in here, and I just said, hey, pray with me. I said, I've just felt not like there's anything big or extreme. I just haven't felt his nearness in the same way. Um, and so we prayed, and I'd been asking the Lord, Lord, is there something hidden? Is there something in me that's going on? Um, and I, one of my roles or one of the things that I feel convicted about here is that I want to be the chief confessor. Because um, I want to know, I want you to know as a body that we stay free through confession and repentance. Like the Lord has built those as vehicles to stay in his presence. And so Wednesday, I had Sherry and some of the ladies pray over me and very sweet and kind and very encouraging. But I didn't tell you all this yet. I went home and I was praying again. And I think it was the next day. I said, Lord, is there anything? Like I know, um, I feel like my conscience is clear, but the Holy Spirit brought up a memory from two months ago or a month and a half ago of something I did where I intentionally told a lie. I lied about something, and the Lord brought it in my memory like that. And I hadn't thought about it. It wasn't a big deal in my head because it wasn't a thing that I was, like, motivationally trying to do. And I'll tell the story. I was taking Lily and Nora to Animal Safari in Pine Mountain, Georgia, the great metropolis. And I got to the counter, and I had been in a season where I was feeling really stressed out by money. I don't know if any of you have been there before, <laughs> currently or whatever. Um, and so I got to the counter, and I, without saying, uh, thinking about it, I said, hey, one adult, two kids. The girls are off playing. Um, and then I, as I went to pay, I looked down, and the sign said, kids, 12 and under. Lily's 14. <laughs> I believe she's 12 too, Karen. But in that moment, can I tell you what happened for me? I said... Of course she's a kid. She's 14. She's a kid. And that fear of not having enough with money, both of those things popped up like this. And so instead of saying, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I'd already given my card, um, I've actually got two adults, one kid. I just let her scan the card. I didn't think anything out um, about it. Made it no big deal. Two years, she's a kid, whatever. I disagree, blah, blah, blah. I went home, and two months later, when I said, Holy Spirit, is there anything? put his finger dead on that. I said, oh my God, man, uh, I am so sorry. That is the word of God in the flesh saying the thing that I want more than anything is your tenderness and your absolute surrender to me. You think it's no big deal. You know better. And he said, you don't get to make those choices. You don't get to make those choices. You know, I could live the rest of my life and nobody know that. And I could push on and do all the things and keep. And what the Lord has convinced me of is that he is better. Man, he is worth more than just me making some overt decisions that look okay. He knows my heart. He knew that out of fear and out of feeling like I was right, that I had said something that was not true. And he said, I will not leave that alone. He said, Grant, you, you can't do that. And I thought, man, I am so sorry. How did I get there? How did I get there? And immediately, the nearness of the Lord came back.
Now, I don't know if you've had that moment. For some of you, you may be carrying those and you don't even know they're there. You're like, I don't know where he is. I don't know where his presence is. I know that something of intimacy with Jesus and the nearness and kindness of Jesus has been peeled off of my life. And you have been pushing down all kinds of other things, bitterness or unforgiveness or lies. You just, you just lie. You just walk around and tell white lies. And you think nothing with white lies. You tell lies. That's what we do, right? We just say white lies. That's called a lie. And some of you have those things buried and you're like, I don't know where the Holy Spirit is. And he says, I'm on the other side of my word exposing the light shining on you and me showing you there is something broken that I need to deal with. Are you with me? He is a lamp for my feet and he is a light for my path. He deeply cares about you actually knowing him. Hear me. Hear me, teenagers, Lily, boys, ladies, hear me. That the Lord is not just trying to get you to a destination. He wants you to know him. He wants your heart to be so tender to his presence, to who he is, uh, that the decisions you make, that you know that they're ultimately about having intimacy and nearness with Jesus. Adults, men, women, those of you whose hearts are hard and tired, and you have been in that space, you make little of things that the Lord makes much of. <laughs> I went back, y'all. I went back after and I looked at the website to see what the difference in the ticket was. It's $3. And you know what popped into my head? Ah, the price of my integrity. $3. The Holy Spirit calls you to be people who are marked by his presence and who live in a different way because of who he is. And will you, I'm asking you as a church, will you accept my apology uh, too? Okay. So what does this have to do with uh, questions about, um, about holidays and, um, and Jewish festivals? And what does this have to do with uh, Sabbaths and eating pork and, and Jewish practices and Reiki, right? Like, what does it have to do with all of that? Um, if we're going to follow Jesus, then the invitation is to follow Jesus. It, it's not just for a set of laws and rules. It really is to learn how to follow him, to learn how to obey everything uh, that he is teaching us. And that's always going to push you to three questions. And so if you are taking notes, these are very simple um, and I just want to encourage you to write them down. It's always going to push me to ask, what does the scripture have to say? I can't make decisions about the leadership of my life in a vacuum or looking to the culture and feeling like that's going to give me clarity and vision. What does the word have to say? Jesus said it time and time again. We must do this in order to fulfill the scriptures. He Jesus held the scriptures in the highest authority. And in the way that you and I apply the scriptures, we need to do the same. Can, and can I give you a caveat? This is a um, multiple thousand year old document written by Jews to Jews on six different continents. Um, and so it's not that it's always simple to understand. It, it's not. It, it is centered in the Middle East. <laughs> Like, America doesn't exist in it. You're not going to read Halloween anywhere in here or Christmas or anything, which means there, there's some complexity. But the scriptures expose us to the heart of God so that we learn how to ask the right questions, so that we learn how to wrestle with those motivational things that I'm talking about this morning. 
Um, so what do the scriptures have to say? Number two, what is the spirit of God saying as I'm surrendering my will in prayer? So not only, you know, can I celebrate Christmas, but Lord, why? Like, okay, so this isn't something that I lay claim to. It's not something that I have to have or do. So what's in it? Why, why is it important? Is it really about the birth of Jesus for you? Is it really? Or is it just about consumerism? You're worshiping something. So what is it? If it's just consumerism, maybe fast that. Maybe don't do gifts one year. Put Jesus back at the center. If that's really about him, put him at the center. Yeah. Right? It's a challenge. Three, what is the Lord saying through the community of believers? You guys have that all there. This is one of the ones that we do the least. Uh, I, I, I think we love the idea of community, but we don't like the sacrifice of walking in community with other people and realizing that God has put us in a body and that discerning things also comes in a body. It doesn't mean I need to go to Catherine every single time I have something I'm wrestling through. It does mean that there are large things that I don't need to make decisions about in isolation. Are you with me? I would say relationships are one of those, ladies and gentlemen. Like if you're dating, or you're, don't do that by yourself. We, we tend to go myopic and nearsighted when we make relationship decisions. When we make huge financial purchases, can I encourage you? That is something you should actually have some other people involved in. Hey, I'm going to go buy a car, and you, don't, you can't pay the rent. Like you, we need to have a conversation. I'm, I'm serious. You need some other voices who can say, hey, slow down. Slow down. Um, when you are making decisions about vocational changes or changes of life, how do we involve other people and say, I actually trust that the Spirit of God in Sherry and in Marielle is going to also inform what I believe the Lord's showing me? Agreement or disagreement? Now, come on, let's be real for a second. We're not good at this. Right? Seriously, come on. I know we're in church Sunday morning, so we just do the, the you know, oh, this sounds good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm talking about you actually trusting people to listen to the Lord with you and to discern through things. That, that's not easy. And I'm, I'm bullheaded. I get my eyes set on things, and at times I think I'm right. Anybody else ever thought they were Right? So that your ears close and your eyes close, you go blind. I've made a lot of decisions out of blindness thinking that I was right. All right. Now, here's the tricky part. The Bible doesn't explicitly talk about holidays and some of the things that we were talking about. And so um, we have to make a call on that. So can we take the low-hanging low fruit this morning? Uh, Halloween's on Tuesday. I've had at least three people come to me and say, Grant, I'm really trying to follow the Lord. What do I do about something like Halloween? Like, can I, like, can our kids go get candy? Is that okay? Is it legal? Is it illegal? Some of you are laughing, but for them, it's serious. It's serious. Now, here's what we have to recognize. Uh, there is no holiday that's neutral. None of them are neutral. It's not to say good or bad or indifferent. But for some of you, holidays are neutral and you do whatever you want because that's what our culture does. Easy. Like, we died and now we're alive in Christ. That means there's no neutral. I have to make decisions about things. And I have to actually process through things. Right? Uh, and so, 
what I would encourage you toward is, um, is that it's not neutral and that Halloween is a holiday with a lot of spiritual darkness. Like a lot, a lot. Some of the folks who are in here, you have been in places where you came out of spiritual darkness, like witchcraft and demonic stuff and Satanism or whatever. And so for you, perhaps um, Halloween has a very different feel, has a very different sense than for some of you who are very like to the pure in heart, all things are pure. You're like, la-di-da, it's candy and, and you know, spooky uh, chipmunk movies or whatever. What, what I would encourage you toward is Halloween is not neutral. And so, again, that is not to say this is what you should do. It is to say that we can't just not make a decision. Um, on Halloween, while some of us, I grew up going to the church every October the 31st. And there are whole segments of the church that would completely rail against that because we were, you know, glorifying Halloween in their minds. And there are other segments of the church that completely don't do anything. And there are other segments of the church who have Halloween parties. Are you with me? You guys feel the tension. <laughs> um, and in the middle of that, how do we make decisions with the Lord um, and in community out of love? Right? That's, that's the thing. So for Halloween, what I would say is there's a lot of spiritual darkness. There are people who are going after drunken parties and getting into all kinds of um, alternate sexuality and witchcraft and demonic stuff in mass. That's like real. It's real on Halloween. And so um, if you feel a conviction like, hey, me and my kids can go get candy and we're not worshiping anything dark, um, but we are going to get candy and my kids are dressing in costumes. I think you need to put that before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you think about this? Hey, Lord, what do you think about this? And then go to the scriptures and say, do, do I feel like there's anything that is a red flag of discernment in my heart that tells me that that is not the same conclusion I should fall on? Okay? You with me? Um, here's the other thing. If you're saying, but we can redeem all things, cool. How are you going to redeem it? Don't tell me you're redeeming it just by going to a fall festival party where you don't talk about Jesus at all and you get a bunch of candy and people are hanging out dressed like witches. Are you with me? Now hear me. I, I came out of the, the background we came out of. Um, we looked for demons under every single rock. We cleared all the rocks for the demons. We found them all, you know. And then we labeled things demons that weren't demons. Uh, we, we did a lot of demons hunting. Um, and so everything was outlawed. I was in the burn your CD generation, you know, and I'm not saying that's always wrong. What I'm saying is we need to be able to give an answer for the decisions that we make about things. Um, and I would say this for you parents, um, be careful letting your kids diminish or subtly glorify stuff that is spiritual darkness that will create confusion later on, you know, and there's lines that we wrestle with that. But for me, when my daughter comes and says, daddy, I want to dress up I'm like, well, baby, you can, you can dress up, but you cannot be anything that is spooky or scary or subtly kind, puts like a shine on demonic stuff or ghosts or witchcraft because I know that those things are real. I've seen those things. And so when, I, when you see demons, you quickly make decisions that you want nothing to do with that. Does that make sense? Are we okay? So I think we need to make clear decisions. I need to go to the Word I need to surrender my will to the spirit and I need to go to other believers and say, hey, what do you think? And here's the caveat that's not in that list. If your decision, your convicted decision about anything 
offends or becomes a stumbling block to the faith of someone else around you, that you would be willing to surrender it for their sake. We don't do a great job there because it requires conversation. For some of you, alcohol is an outright sin. You came out of addicted past. It is a no-no. For others of you, it's not. Drinking in moderation is perfectly normal. Do you know what the difference is? Conversation. When you get into a room and you say, hey, would it be offensive to you if I drank a beer? Real talk. We good? And doing the deep work of sacrificial love that says, I would give up anything to know that you're, you're okay with the Lord and this isn't a stumbling block. Um, and we don't have time to delve into all this, but for those of you who wrestle with this, like where's the gray and where's the black and white? Romans 14 is a gift. Romans 14 is a gift where Paul talks about arguable, disputable matters, things that we can carry different convictions about and still move towards Christ together. And we can do that. We, in fact, if we can't, we're in trouble because we have a room full of diversity and distinction right now. We're moving into a political season that will fracture everybody off who can be fractured off. You know what I'm talking about? And so why don't we learn where to agree and how to respectfully disagree, lovingly disagree in community that holds tight to the bond of the spirit and unity in Christ. Um, I have no idea where I'm at. Um, Hey, and here's a thought, Halloween. You know, there's actually like a church holiday that that comes into Halloween, right? A Reformation Day. It's like where the Protestant church was born, and Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, and where he talked about justification by faith alone, and it changed the face of the Catholic church and launched into the Protestant. We're a Protestant church because of that, because of those theses on October the 31st. So perhaps if you're saying, like, I just want to learn how to redeem it. Well, redeem it, it. Like, <laughs> pray for people, love Jesus loud, talk to people about the brokenness and depravity of spiritual darkness and how Jesus comes to light the world. And if you want to get candy and you feel a deep conviction that that's okay, go for it. But please, God, don't have your child dressed up as a, a witch or a prostitute or a demon. Just nonsense, right? Okay. Sorry, that might have been a little too much. I got a little too loud there at the minute. But here's why. Don't follow a law that I'm giving you. Listen to the Lord. Go to the Word. Listen to the Spirit. Fight in community. Do the work. Paul says, you guys are all teachers. He says, you all have the Spirit. So the the witness of the Spirit needs to be leading you in how you make decisions about things that seem arbitrary or gray to other people. What you watch, what you don't watch, what you listen to, what you don't listen to, what you consume, what you don't consume. And Paul goes into this over and over again. Do you drink? Do you not? Do you eat food sacrificed to idols? That was their fight. Or do you not? Because some people contended they were demons. So what do we do with that? So they're wrestling with things in that. And I would encourage you that you have to do the work of wrestling because it's not neutral. Halloween, Christmas, all these things, any practice, You need to do the work of, Lord, what do you have to say about this? What is the Spirit saying to me as I surrender my will? And what does the community say? Amen? And can I have the kind of love that's willing to lay down anything, anything, if it corrupts somebody else's faith? Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.